Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. We've got a brand new topic for you tonight. Uh, first of all, we've got uh, myself, Mark Raycroft, coming to you from Wyoming and... You need me to say Ontario, Canada. I can't say it with the accent. <laughs> and then we've got Scott and Darren with Artbeat Studios. They're going to be joining us tonight, and we're actually going to cover printing, which is a topic that we have kind of shied away from just because most of us lack the knowledge to be able to speak on it intelligently. So we're happy to have these guys. Artbeat Studios is a, a studio in California, print print shop in California, and Mark and I have used them uh, for prints around the country for fine art prints. They do fantastic work, so you can go check them out. But Scott and Darren, welcome, both of you. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank for having you. us on the podcast. We really appreciate what you guys do, uh, and we're really excited to help out with whatever way we can. Fantastic. So... When we were talking pre-show, you guys said not only are you printers, but you're both shooters as well. That's correct, correct. And Darren, what do you shoot typically? Um, tip, well, actually, I'm a painter as well. So I typically shoot things that I'm going to transfer to a painting. Um, and a lot of times uh, I like to paint birds. So I shoot a lot of birds. Um, and I also uh, shoot people around the city try to catch them doing things that uh, are natural instead of posed, and then I can make that into a painting. You don't hire people to do the shooting for you. You just go get, you know what you want, right? Yeah, I do. And um, a lot of my paintings lately have been of my daughter. Uh, she's about 20, in her early 20s. And uh She's kind of a natural at it, so I just go with that. How about you, Scott? What do you shoot? I mostly candid photography. Uh, I really wasn't that into photography until I started participating with RP Studios. And just seeing so many photographers come through, seeing so many different photos come through. And when I would talk to them about, yeah, you know, I really don't have as much skill with the cameras uh, so much. All the photographers were so helpful and just kind of coaching me, guiding me. Uh, and then I ended up picking up uh, at the time a Sony uh, A7R4 uh, and just really going with different photographers to different locations and just learning and studying. I've been doing it now for about four years or so. And the thing that I'm most excited and enjoy about photography is the endless mountain of learning that's associated with photography. You're just always it's an endless journey, so you never hit the finish line. And that's, I like that kind of uh, uh, the challenge of photography. Um, and so uh, most, of the, most of what I shoot is candid photography. I like to just bring the camera out with me uh, when we're out and about with friends and so forth. Uh, and then um, just the, the magic that I tend to find is those really quick moments. If you can get that snap right when that moment's happening and you don't even know that you got it. You just see it later on when you're editing and you're like, Oh wow. Take a look at this photo. That's the kind of photography that I'm in right now. It's still a little bit kind of accidental, 
when I get that perfect shot the way I wanted to, I'm happy with it. That's the way I do it. It works. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I have a lot of fun with it. And ever since uh, I've gotten into it, just studying the depth of capturing the photo to bringing it to print, um, it's been a really fun, fun journey for me. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And we all have accidental photos. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it when, when I get a print done. Sometimes and there are things I don't see in it that somebody brings up. Oh, I love this aspect of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that that was planned. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I totally get that. And, and just like with printmaking, hopefully you guys can bring us closer to that finish line as far as understanding that side of the profession in what it takes to make the best of your image for the reproduction when it comes to printing. But yeah, there's no end game with photography. Yeah. Apparently, you know, guaranteed. For sure. And that's what, that's what makes the challenge of photography such a, a calling for so many people. You, you can never stop learning. Yeah. And the technology is always changing. So you're always growing. I mean, when I first started shooting, it was film. And we can all relate to that. Mark shot. We're not allowed to talk about film anymore on this podcast. <laughs> was banned from We've talking banned about him. It's too old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all digital, but it's just the mediums, right? The metal prints. I sure hope you're not picking up this echo. I'm in a stadium. It's like I'm stadium seating here. Um, but metal prints revolutionize a presentation, in my opinion. When people see that, when I had my first one done, I've had friends come over and they look at it, and it's like. It's like an HDTV on the wall of that image. It's so much more vibrant. We're up to and, 4K now, Mark. And Four, 4K TVs now. You don't have to yes. view in HD anymore. Okay, well, the HD <laughs> For the record, <laughs> I, I have a 5K iMac, but my television is still HD, not 4K, oh, gotcha. it's 2K. And it looks great. But, <laughs> but there's something about, you know, how how imagery and present, presentation on the walls has changed so much. I mean, canvas was something, but metals and acrylics. So it's something I'm excited to hear your expertise, your what you guys deal with each day and how our listeners can best prepare their images as far as calibration and, and what is delivered to you. And then I'm curious, as I'm sure so many people are, what it's like on your side of that production line and i know from reading and working with you guys that you if you work on the images when necessary as well too but anyway i'll let you guys get into that in a minute but that's something i'm excited about today's podcast because we have never had somebody on who does this professionally that can help guide and coach and give some tips for people when it comes to what's delivered or how to best create their images for you and i've created questions along that line too as things go forward well absolutely i mean you guys are some of the best out there so you know, especially, especially in the in the commercial realm where you're mass producing some of the best product that that I've been able to deliver to people, and I think you know Mark would say the same. So Scott, you started shooting after you got into to print. You know, I was interested in photography maybe ten plus years before so, but one of those didn't really jump on the bandwagon yet. Just kind of partially got interested in it and then once i started working with rp studios um that's when it really just kind of took off uh and it's it's really hard not to be excited about photography when you i mean all the employees are excited about photography here at rp studios uh and 
we're, we're, we're blessed in a certain way, in a very unique way, that we see so many photos come through our area. And so we get such a, uh, our plat, our our opportunity for reference on what we like and don't like and what we're interested in trying is so huge. And it gives us so much inspiration to go out there and try to possibly duplicate a certain style or um, there's just so much that comes through. And it's really funny, like, uh, so uh, for our metal prints, we have a heat press man and he's the one that does the the press and, and it um, pushes the ink into the metal and so forth. Well, uh, I walked by one day and I'm looking at a picture and I go, wow, that's a really good picture. And I was actually impressed. It, it looked like a really good picture. And the pressman goes, yeah, I've seen better. And I'm like, it just gets to that point where you've seen so many fantastic, amazing photos that that bar gets kind of raised a little bit. Uh, and we just kind of, it, it's, it's an injustice for us to not adopt and absorb photography mm -hmm. ourselves because we're just so exposed to it in a way that it's kind of a calling for all of our employees to go see what you're a part of. You know, this is bigger than what we're doing. Uh, and so all of us have a lot of fun. We go out on hikes, we go camping. We just find our ways to um, get those rare moments and, and practice our, our, our photography with our cameras and so forth. And it's just a lot of fun. Awesome. And Darren, you being a painter, was printing just something that kind of came natural? Well, so. actually, um, I went to school for uh, graphic design. Oh, okay. And I got a temporary job that lasted 10 <laughs> years. Um, and what I was doing at first was graphic design. But they ended up needing someone to work this a long time ago, work in the dark room. And so here, here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up working in the dark room, developing film and doing that kind of a thing. And it just sort of progressed into printing because I got to the point where I wanted to know everything. I was like, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn here. I need to learn more. And once I decided that's what I wanted to do, the owner of that company. Um, he said, hey, whenever I dismiss someone from that job, until I find someone else, you're the guy. And so I ended up getting into all these things, which brought me uh, into doing photo correcting, uh, Photoshop. I've been using Photoshop since Photoshop 2. Um, I've been working with Max since I think it was 1990. And um, so over the years, I just keep developing that. And um, they're always coming out with new things. And um, when you get a new program from Adobe, it, it's a really good thing to look through and see what's new in the program, because all those things are things that photographers can use as tools, because that program is made specifically for photographers. That's going to bring up a question later, but I'll... I'll leave it there for now because they they just added a new kind of work area in Lightroom. And I want to ask you guys about that once we get into some different topics. But Mark, I think you had a you had a question on the tip of your tongue just a few minutes ago. 
No, I have a lot of questions. I'm just letting this ease in before <laughs> I start drilling the guys with, with prep yeah. stuff. Yeah. So do you guys specialize in different areas? I know you guys do several different types of prints. Could you just list those for, for our listeners, just the different types of prints that you do? And then do you have specialty areas or does everybody, you know, like Darren was just talking about, do you become a master of all? Well, um, I don't think anyone is what we call specialized. Um, we do try to get everyone involved and kind of have more than one person capable of handling the job. Um, we don't want to get caught at, say, someone gets COVID flu, God forbid. We don't want to be caught with only one person that knows how to do that. So we have uh, multiple people who can print, who can burn, who can uh, face mount a, an acrylic, um, anything that needs to be done. We have cross-trained uh, a lot of our people to be able to handle that. Um, with regards to specialties, as far as a company, uh, <clears throat> the main product that we actually sell is our uh, metal prints. Um, we It's just the product line that moves. We get more orders coming through for that product line. Uh, and where our expertise and specialty kind of comes uh, in this product is it's to do this right takes a depth of passion, a depth of connection, because the amount of workload to get it done right is so high that if you don't have that passion for it, um, you're just not going to do a good job. Like him and I often just it's a lot of work to keep it <laughs> to keep it going uh, and to get that color as accurate as possible, to get that resolution as sharp as possible, to get that image to look precisely the way that you guys want. You guys are interested in having that image. There are so many layers to that uh, from the type of rip software that we're working with to the types of inks that we're working with to the humidity in the room to it just goes on and on. Uh, and um, that's where we, that's why most people I don't think are going to have the, the the strength to kind of produce quality to this degree because it just takes that depth. The, the, the amount of areas that we have to look for details is something that we have to be doing all the time. We have to always be cross-checking our list, referencing things because um, there's going to be something that's going to slip through the cracks and it's going to demonstrate and we're going to need to uh, catch that as soon as we possibly can. And the only way to do that is always constantly evaluating calibrations, evaluating what the performance of the print looks like, uh, holding ourselves to the highest standard that we possibly can, primarily for our customers. Um, our customers, <laughs> it's a really uh, awesome spectrum of customers where you have some customers who it's more the image itself that they love that image so much that the quality and the color, not, it's not their focus. They just are so happy that they got that image produced on metal or acrylic or canvas. And then there's other customers who it is everything. How the, the accuracy of their color, we consider ourselves extremely strict when it comes to our parameters. And we have customers who are tougher than us. Uh, and we're really excited about those customers because it's our belief that that bar needs to be as high as it possibly can. And if there's anybody who's gotten experience uh, with this product line in a more favorable way than what we're able to offer them, we want to know about it. 
We want to know about it. We want to be able to compromise and make and, and find ways to produce exactly what they're looking for. Uh, and our, the main reason for that philosophy is for that person who is that um, concentrated on making sure everything is accurate to, to those standards, um, there's someone else out there like that too. There's And there's probably a lot more people out there like that. So we're grateful every opportunity we get to get that feedback from our photographers and from our customers. Uh, if there is any concern that they have whatsoever with the product, just because it helps us stay to that standard. But to go back to what you're, sorry, you kind of took that off track a little bit there. <laughs> um, yeah, we specialize on metal. Metal is probably about 50% of our business right now. Uh, and then uh, the second product that we move the most is going to be our um, acrylic. Uh, another product that I think that we could definitely categorize ourselves as specialists and experts uh, oh, yeah. in producing. Um, it, <laughs> for the layers of complications and difficulties that there are with producing a metal print, um, there's probably 3x <laughs> that when it comes to acrylic prints, just the, the vulnerabilities for discrepancies and challenges in the production process um, are so much greater than they are in the metal process. Uh, and but we do we like we do with metal. We put a tremendous amount of due diligence in polishing what that process looks like and that experience. And we will not send out an acrylic unless we're 100% proud of putting that up ourselves. Uh, and believe it or not, we're actually pretty strict with ourselves. And it's <laughs> I'll give you a little bit of insight into some of our quality control processes. Um, whoever is involved in the production of the acrylic print themselves is not allowed to have any judgment whatsoever on the quality control of the product. And the reason for that being is because there's so much effort put into making that print as best as it possibly can be that the actual creator of the print, the person who's assembling it and manufacturing it, their, their judgment is bias yeah. because they just put too much effort <laughs> they put too much effort and they put so much work into that product and if there's a discrepancy they know we're going to say no to it uh and so they're not even allowed to to do quality any quality control on the product because it just it's that it's a very unique product um to, to produce and manufacture but those are the two main products that we specialize in we do offer uh canvas uh, and we offer paper as well both of those, we held ourselves to the same standards as we do uh, with metal and acrylic. The difference is the production process for paper and canvas is a, a lot, um, lot fewer moving pieces to producing a photo print, a lot fewer moving pieces to producing a canvas print. When it comes to an acrylic print, there's so many layers to the print. When it comes to the metal print, there's so much time between the between it actually being printed out of the printer to the time that it actually gets infused onto the metal and there's variables between there. So acrylic and can, I'm sorry, uh, um, acrylic and metal, both of those are gonna have a lot of complications. Those are where we're gonna put most of our energy into, but we do also sell fantastic canvas and great quality uh, paper as well. And like uh, I said, um, the criteria that uh, we hold ourselves to as far as quality is concerned, if we won't buy it, we won't sell it. It's a good motto. Yeah, for sure. And I wanted to speak to that just real quick because I had a personal experience with that. But I know I know Mark's got something else, so I'll make it quick. I had a caribou that was it, caribou and velvet that was right in front of Denali. 
um, Mount McKinley Denali up in Alaska and sent it in, got a, you know, an acrylic, it was 24 by 36, I believe acrylic print. And it took about, it was, I was on about week three, week three and a half. And so I called to check on the progress of the print because usually you guys are faster. And, uh, they said that they had done it twice. I don't remember even who I talked to. They'd done it twice and both times there was bubbles in it. Just very small bubbles and you guys wouldn't send it out. You just they said, we're not going to send that kind of thing out. So you fixed it, made it right. And the resulting print is, is fantastic and hanging on somebody's office. So, yeah, I, I just want to share that personal story because I know, you know, it's easy for you to say, you hold yourselves to that standard, but coming from a consumer uh, that has something like that happen and and can testify to the same thing, I think just reinforces the the quality standard that you guys hold yourselves to. And as a consumer, I appreciate it. That's why you guys are on here tonight. <laughs> I, I kind of want to talk about those bubbles just now that you brought them up, um, and more so just to elevate our standard of quality. Um, these bubbles that we're talking about are hairpins. They're tiny, tiny, um, and like we were talking about before, we've got customers who are going to sit there with a microscope and evaluate every aspect of the print, and if they see any imperfections, I mean, the, the, the common individual walking past the print is going to think it's amazing and, and beautiful and stunning, um, but uh, uh, these little tiny hairpin bubbles that can sometimes present in the manufacturing process we recognize that you as a customer, that's not what you're buying. You know, that's not what you're choosing to pay for. And like Darren said, if we won't buy it, we won't, we won't sell it. We won't sell it. Um, and uh, so even with those types, these are hairpin type discrepancies. And we're putting a lot of effort in cost, to be honest with you. There's a lot of cost associated with holding ourselves to this kind of standard. Um, the amount of product that we produce that does not leave the... Okay, I'll put it to you like this. RP Studios, if you walk around our warehouse, it is full <laughs> of art. There's art on any square inch of the wall possible. And it just has to do with maybe it had a tiny discrepancy that just didn't meet our standards. But we had already invested 10 hours into the product or so, depending on what product it was. Why are we? What are we going to do with this? Got to put this thing up around here. You know, it's too beautiful. And we got to appreciate it and look at it. Um, but there's... By holding ourselves to the standard that we hold ourselves to, there is additional cost associated with that. And we are honestly totally proud to completely we're we're very grateful that we can run a business that holds itself to this standard and the finances make sense and you can still do what we're doing. Because when you hold yourself to this kind of standard, like we should talk like I'm talking about, the waste is up there and you've got to run a business still. You can't allow that to get to uh, to agree this and we're, we're we're really diligent we always have our we modify our protocols to make sure that we're reducing that waste as much as possible um, but we're a handmade company when you're a handmade company you're going to have micro discrepancies every now and then um, and it's just part of the game it's just a part of the, what we do definitely a learning curve how how long have metal prints been around I, I mean i could guess but you guys would know far more accurately than i so half a dozen years, 10 years that they've been popular that are growing that way. And I, why, why I'm asking is I'm just wondering from your workflow, the efficiency and the evolution of creating a metal print, I assume, has changed 
tremendously over the past half dozen years, and hopefully there's less waste, but also the the integrity of what's delivered is more and more outstanding. Is is that true? Has the technology been continually improving through this process, or has it been pretty well status quo? Uh, it's been improving. Um, the quality of the metals been improving. Um, I believe metal prints have been around. Uh, I think about 20 years. Um, it, it's getting better and better, but a lot of originally what people did was they would take their um, like Epson 9600 and take out the Epson inks and put in some uh, dye sub inks and start running that. And of course, um, when you're doing that, that's not what that printer's made for. And so um, even getting the color correct was hard to do. But in recent years, um, Epson and other print companies have come out with printers that are dedicated to dye sublimation. Therefore, we can calibrate and you know get accurate color, and we don't have to do as much dancing as we did when we first started this company. That's awesome. One would hope so. And it seems that way. The consistency yeah. in that product, no matter where it's from, seems to be better. And for for the listening audience as well, for those that might be new into this, I mean, I certainly encourage people to try their favorite images on metal because it's outstanding. But could you give us just a quick comparison between metal and acrylic? Why some people might prefer acrylic over metal or vice versa? What's the difference and why some of your clients choose one route over the other? I, I think we should both answer this question in our own way. You go first and then I'll follow through. Well, I think the difference between the two is the metal color is um, more stunning, it's more vibrant, but the acrylic itself has more detail and more accuracy as far as um, the resolution is concerned. Um, it also is more of a, what you see is what you get. It is, it is like taking your photo and having it printed on photo paper and putting it behind glass the only, and having it framed. The only thing that's missing is the frame. Yeah, and uh, just to piggyback on what Darren was saying, that I have the same, uh, I agree 100%. Um, metal is gonna demonstrate a lot better on your high contrast, bright colors. Uh, you're just gonna, the energy that metal is demonstrating with that type of a photo complements it so well. It's a great relationship. Um, when it comes to acrylic, uh, we use metallic photo paper in our acrylic prints, and it's a, it's a going back to our standard for quality. It's much more expensive product than if we were to use just standard photo paper uh, with our uh, acrylic prints. But there's an iridescence to the metallic photo paper that when you put that behind the plexi, the complement of that relationship is so you just know you're supposed to do it. And the when it comes to an acrylic print, if you're going the way I like to steer people down an acrylic print if they're deciding between metal and acrylic is, like Darren was saying, that detail. If you've got just a ton of micro, small detail that is really why you want your photo to be printed, then you're going to want to go with an acrylic print. Like Because like Darren was saying, it's essentially you're printing on photo paper. It's exact uh, transfer of what you want or what you're trying to have printed. Um, and the... The other thing that I like to see with acrylics, uh, and I've just noticed, is gradient colors. 
gradient colors look very like skies, beautiful sunsets and so forth, or uh, um, still lakes uh, with like the clouds in the background and so forth. Um, that gradients demonstrates so well on an acrylic print because of the fact that it's got that metallic photo paper. So that gradients, the, it just brings so much energy into the photo. So just to kind of recap, if it was high contrast, bright colors, definitely go on your metal prints. Um, if you're going with really deep detail or long gradient colors, then you're going to have a better uh, experience getting an acrylic print with that. Just a one other thing on the metal prints too. I, I remember, well, obviously it wasn't the early days of metal printing if they've been around for 20 years, but they got on my radar about five years ago. And I knew of people who were having metal prints made wherever that weren't necessarily getting framing done. And there was one office I heard of that a friend of mine worked at had all kinds of metal prints done, hung them on the walls, loved them, but then they all warped over time. And I think that's a, a problem of the past with metal prints, but it's something maybe you guys can elaborate on the importance of getting proper framing on the back of the metal prints so that they stay flat over a long period of time. Is, is that something with the improved quality of metal nowadays that is still something to watch and make sure you've got that proper framing on the back? And, and what I mean is, on a 24 by 36, it may, you look at the back and it might be like an H frame of, of just metal, thin metal on the back that keeps it rigid and also, you know, has a point where you can hang the actual metal print from on the wall. So how important is it now to still have that for support on the back with the metal substrate uh, nowadays? Well, the metal substrate itself um, is flat. And I know that if you use the uh, Chromalux product, which we do, that they are very conscious about the fact that this um, is something that people want to put on their wall and keep it flat. And they are very um, diligent about quality control. Um, that's why we use them, that we, we could use an inferior product, but we choose not to. Um, and as far as what you put on the back, the Aluminum is like four millimeters thick. So what you put on the back, if it's not flat, it will work um, visually. The metal itself may not work. It's just taking the shape of what you're putting on the back. And so we make every back in-house and we check those things. And that's part of our quality control. And just to kind of touch up on that, um, we get concerns every now and then from our customers with different aspects of the photos and we adjust and modify. Uh, the, the warping of the image is actually not something that's been on our radar for no. probably a couple of five years or so. Sure. Um, it, it uh, like you were saying, made a, a, a bigger challenge in the past, uh, but um, it's, you know, you only know the challenges that you experience yourselves. Maybe that's a challenge that other companies deal with, um, but it's we just never really had that much of an issue with that being a concern. I mean, when I say that, I, I don't think we've had a customer on the metal prints have concerns of warpage. Have no, we haven't had warpage. The only thing we've had is maybe some shipping problems, but that that would be it. Yeah. Well, it's inevitable to a degree, right? I, this was yeah. something I heard historically, but it was something that five or six years ago, there were some photographers that I knew were somewhat reticent to get into metal prints because they heard about this and I haven't for years and and I've had many done myself and have no concerns there's been no warpage but I just I wanted to assure people from your expertise that this wasn't 
a problem nowadays. And also to take it a step further and what you'd recommend as far as the type of framing to go on the back for the best option for their metal prints. So if you could elaborate on that, I know you have different options through the website, right? But what would you recommend people go with for the framing for the best long-term lifespan of the print, which you guys say on your website is phenomenal. It's not no fade for 65 plus years. So we'll hang it on the wall and, and see 65 yep. years from now, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, as far as the, the backs of the print, um, they're all going to be the same standard of quality. So it's not that one of them is going to provide you a greater amount of longevity than the other. Uh, it's going to be a personal preference dynamic when it comes to the prints. Um, I personally like to see a flush mount. When I see a flush mount on a metal print, there's something about how the mount goes completely to the edge of the print. Usually when you see these in hospitality environments, that's the type of print that you're going to see. It provides a little bit more of an elegant look to the sh to the photo uh, but then our most popular that's just my personal preference our most popular product line is just the standard float uh, mount that we've got where it just allows the metal print to kind of hover off the wall by about a half an inch or so um, and um, yeah you want to kind of add anything to that well um, I'm a little bit different from Scott I prefer the aluminum metal back um, I prefer the black one um, I do like the fact that the photo hovers off the wall and when you are standing at an angle, it looks like it's floating. It, look, it doesn't look attached at all because, you know, the black uh, metal hides the fact that there's a back on it at all. And for some reason, I just kind of like that. It's just a preference. What can you guys tell us, you know, as far as our listening audience is primarily wildlife photographers. We've got other folks that that do come along just for the adventure sake. And we've got some adventure photographers that we have talked to as well. And, and that, that follow the show for everyone. What can we do as photographers to give you a higher quality print ready image? I know one of the things right out of the gate, I'm going to ask Mark this because I, I think he's going to think it's the same answer as I do. Uh, when you're prepping an image, Mark, do you, what DPI dots per inch do you do for a print ready? 300 always is what I send out. Okay. That's what I said too. And then I talked to these guys before the show and they told me I'm just, I'm wrong. If you guys could just kind of share with us, how can we deliver more print ready images as photographers to make your job as a printer easier? Well, um, the best thing you can do is upload it to size, the exact size you want. Um, at 150 DPI. <laughs> That's not enough for metal, that, acrylic? You need. Um, it, the funny thing is, um, when, I guess, what, four years ago, we decided to do the 150 DPI versus 300 DPI challenge. You probably find that uh, on our YouTube channel. And there's no difference. You can switch them around. You can do whatever you want. You can look at them under a loop. There's no difference. And the reason is these digital printers, when they're printing at um, 2880, uh, there's not going to be much left. And what the RIP software does is actually, when it sees 300 DPI, it, of course, takes longer to RIP 
you're thinking, oh, it takes longer to rip because it's a bigger file. No, it's throwing out information. That's what it's doing. That's why it's taking longer. And, um, yeah, the reason we did that video is because I was challenged on that because I had been to um, Epson and they were demoing some new printer. I don't remember which one it was, but um, all the images were 150 DPI. And I asked the question, why aren't you doing 300 DPI? Because it'll be a better image. And they said, no, 300 DPI is for offset printing and digital inkjet printing only needs 150. And it's the same product. It looks exactly the same. Now, I'm going to go on with that. If you want to send a 300 DPI image, we'll take it gladly sure. and use the 300 DPI. Yes. If you want to send a 600 DPI image, we'll take it gladly and we will use that image. Um, we're not here to, to, we want to print what you want printed at the end of the day. Uh, and just kind of piggybacking on what some of Darren said there, <clears throat> it has to do with the algorithms of the RIP software. That's the reason why. If you think about it, like Darren was saying, the the printer is going to print way more than 150 dots per square inch, way more than 300 dots per square inch, way more than 600 dots per square inch. So what the RIP software is doing is the RIP software is analyzing the data in the image and then plucking the data and basically reprocessing it because it's going to be expanded to a lot more than 150 or 300 DPI. So it it's the, my, my basic awareness says, okay, 300 would be better than 150. But when you recognize that the printer is actually printing 2880 or greater, then, then you see, okay, it's getting up res anyways from whether it's 150 or 300 to a ridiculous amount of pixels. Um, that's where the, the answer lies in that 150 could look par with a 300 DPI uh, image. But that there again, you want 300, we'll do it all day long. Um, and, and it prints, prints great as well. Just realize, though, when you're working on your 300 and 600 DPI image, you're taking longer because it's slowing your computer down as well. <laughs> all right, so guys, I've learned my... Uh, quicker at 150. You can quicker. get more pictures quicker at 150, and you can put mm -hmm. more into your order. Good marketing spin. Now, when we're talking about the... We're really getting into the micro fine, fine details, the differences between 150 and 300. It sounds like it's not. It sounds like it's a bigger difference. And it is very much so when you're doing the comparison on your monitor between 150 PPI and a 300 PPI image. But when it's getting ripped and reprocessed to, to paper or to ink or to metal, uh, it's just a different. We're looking at something different than that. So this leads me to another prep question. I had a friend who still does works in a marketing agency, does a lot of big reproductions. And I asked him years ago, um, it's not so much a problem with the larger sensor cameras now, love big 45 megapixels, but some of the older cameras that might have produced a 9 by 14 inch um, standard frame size, to upsize that, if you want a 24 by 36 or bigger, how to do that. And my workflow was obviously taking the raw and then creating a TIFF and then working in the TIFF at 16 bits and taking that nine by 14 back in the day, the D4S Nikon or cameras like that size. And 
he, my friend Jason told me to do it incrementally. He said, don't do it in one jump to 24 by 36, but make it go into image size, adjust it once, adjust it twice, and do two or three stages would have better file integrity. Is there any validity to that when somebody's taking their standard size that comes off their camera sensor and wants to make it image ready size, want a really big metal print? How's the best way to do that? Is the way I describe something you're, you've heard before, or is that unnecessary to make those steps? Um, I have heard that. Um, the only difference that I've heard uh, about that is each time you do that, you would want to uh, go into your filters and sharpen your image a little bit. Really? Even with a TIFF file, 16-bit, you'd still require a bit of that teasing? Well, yeah. If you're, if you're going for something that's from like a 9 by 12 up to something like 24 by 36 or larger, sure. um, you probably, and when I say add a little sharpening, um, I guess I should explain um, the difference sharpening tools. Um, I'm talking about the unsharp mask. Yes. And are you familiar with what that does? You know, that's the only sharpening tool I use. Okay. You know, but to get into the specifics, no, I just like what it does. I'll highlight a certain aspect of an image. By days in film, can I talk about it? Yeah, yeah, you can. I can. <laughs> I'm not allowed to go back to the film days and talk about it. <laughs> but something uh, as well that I've done, and, and maybe you can elaborate on whether this is a good tactic uh, with unsharp mask, is when I've done an upsize like that, and it doesn't have to be the old. Let's say we have a 45 megapixel size now, and we want to make a wall size metal print as big as we can. It's sometimes I'll just highlight the facial features of this of the animal and do the unsharp mask to that part of the picture, not the whole thing. But I don't know if that's advantageous or not. But yeah, as far as, yeah, please elaborate. Sure, that works well uh, to sharpen the area that you're most trying to highlight. Um, but just to explain what the unsharp mask does, um, in back in the, when I was in the dark room, what you would do is you would take your negative and you would spread it and then you take uh, another accurate positive of your original negative and you would shrink that and you would put the two together and there'd be this little line of light that would shine through as you expose. And what that would do then is turn, of course, your um, film or your paper, the paper, black in that area. And so what you're doing is you're adding a line around to sharpen a little bit while leaving those subtle areas the same. So that's what unsharp mask does. If you do just a regular sharpen, it's gonna sharpen the whole thing. You're gonna see all kinds of anomalies come up and that's you're, it's gonna degrade your image. But the unsharp mask only sharpens the outside and leaves like the flesh uh, alone. There you go. I love it. That's good. That's a very complicated answer to a, a complicated question. And for those that don't work a lot in Photoshop, that's where Unsharp Mask would be found as is a Photoshop tool. Um, but that uh, it, it's a good explanation of exactly what it's doing. You're just basically making it pop. For those as simple like me, that's what we're going to say. We're just adding a little pop. So what about programs like uh, Topaz? Do you guys find issues with people overusing those or 
Is is that something that helps with prepping a print or prepping a file for print? Um, we do use the denoise program, um, which does help with those images that are smaller and have some uh, granular qualities to them. Um, but I think that um, a lot of these things can, if you, if you don't want to buy Topaz or whatever, you can work around that and do those things in Photoshop and Lightroom. Uh, I, I will say this, for the, <clears throat> for the customers of ours that do request certain modification and enhancements with their images, and when we bring in other softwares to, to work with that, um, the state of technology today has really moved far along. Uh, the, you can do a lot with what you didn't have options with before. Uh, and so um, we're, we're more often finding ourselves in a scenario where a customer does want a 40 by 60 in a scenario where it probably looked better on a 24 by 36. However, now technology is out there to where you can modify the details of that image in a way, because when you go from a 24 by 36 to a 40 by 60, whatever discrepancies you got, you just expanded them and made them more obvious than they were before. Uh, and um, the software that we've been finding ourselves uh, being able to utilize, it's doing the trick. It's doing the trick. The technology's really come a long way. We don't do it. We don't use it that often. Uh, and it just it's based on customer demand. If they're curious about what we're able to do, then we'll offer that for them. Uh, but when we do, we're we're impressed uh, mm -hmm. with it to, to let alone sending it off to the customer and they're just borderline flabbergasted at what we were able to produce for them. So yeah, the technology's really moved along and it's really getting there. Even Photoshop though, to be honest with you, a lot of the updates that they've been doing in Photoshop, like Darren was talking about, it the 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 software programs that are out there make it easy. There's the, the one button click, uh, and it's a definitely broad paintbrush to the whole pro to the whole picture. Um, it's easier, uh, but if you put that time into Photoshop, use with the advancements that Photoshop's been having lately, you can get the same the same results. You just have to put that due diligence and time, which is what why a lot of people do go with the software. You know, because it's it's that education process. It's the learning curve of figuring all that stuff out versus off-the-shelf platforms where you can just modify the image and it looks really good. I think the biggest thing that people talk about when they first get a print back is that it doesn't look like what it looks like on their screen. So as far as color, how can we ensure that what the files that we send you as photographers is going to match what you're trying to reproduce on a print? I have to start with saying nothing's going to match 100%. We're dealing with two types of color. We're dealing with additive and subtractive color. So if you're using additive color from your monitor, it's adding color. And the light is shining from the back. If you're using subtractive color, you're placing color onto a white substrate and the light is hitting and bouncing back to your eye. So they're automatically going to be different but we can get very close. And the way we do that is, first of all, um, we have our monitors calib calibrated. Um, we use X-Rite to uh, calibrate our monitors with their uh, iPublisher. 
and you can buy different uh, models from them, but they're all good and they'll all do the trick for your monitor. Um, the more expensive models are basically for paper. And if you're just trying to calibrate your monitor, um, you'll be okay with uh, their lower end models. But once you calibrate your monitor, um, you're probably like 85 to 90% there. Um, and then what you need to do is when you're outputting your um, photo, you need to embed the profile that you're working with in Photoshop or uh, Lightroom or whatever editing software you're using and send out, that would then come along with the file. Um, we prefer Adobe 1998, uh, their RGB um, calibration. And the reason is it has a wider color gamut. A lot of people like to use sRGB, um, which was created by Hewlett Packard. Um, it was created for um, offset printing, which doesn't have as wide a color gamut. And so sRGB does not quite give you all the colors that you can get with the Adobe RGB 1998. So, those are the things that we tell people to do um, as far as getting their image ready for us. Now, I know Lightroom added another, the uh, ProRes. Would you recommend people not use that? Yes, I would. Um, what I've experienced so far with that is a darker image. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. The business standard for publishing has always been Adobe RGB 1998, and that's yeah everything. So I was I'm glad that came up. That was a question I had historically with CMYK for some of the printing, but I'm glad to hear that it's switched to RGB 98 because that's always what I've sent out. And so as far as people's monitors, that's a big deal too, and what they're looking at and the, and the quality of what their monitor presents to them. So, quick question. ISO, ASO monitors. I picked one up today. I'll tell you more about that later, Ron. Um, that's what I've used for several years because they have 99% coverage of that color gamut from edge to edge. Is that something is, that's important or has the technology for your software end of things and with your calibrated monitors, even though people do embed that color profile, you have the ability to do so much manipulation quickly on your side that it's really easy to get the image to where it should be to print from your end, that it's not critical that they have a high-end calibrated monitor, or what are your thoughts on that? Um, if you're a professional, I think it's critical that you have a high-end calibrated monitor. But our, I was just, our audience aren't all professionals, so I mean, that's not, it's worth... If you're not a professional, then... Um, I would imagine that um, you would still want a nice monitor. If, if this is something that a hobby of yours, um, I know that I have several hobbies and I usually put a lot of money into my hobbies. Um, and if you're spending a lot of money on a beautiful camera to take these gorgeous pictures, you want a really nice monitor. Well said. 
it really suggests that people get a good monitor and that they calibrate them. Mm. And I just want to add something in with that. This 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 relates with how how deep your passion is for the hobby itself uh, and what your budget is as far as where you're looking to spend. Um, what we're talking about with regards to picking up a high quality monitor, making sure it's color calibrated and so forth. Uh, the, the high quality monitor is gonna align you like we're talking about in that professional dynamic. And what I'm trying to do here is let you know that if you're if this is something you're having a little bit more fun with and it's not necessarily something you're focused on making revenue with, um, then you don't necessarily need to have the best monitor for that scenario make sure it's color calibrated for sure. If, again, I'm not trying to suggest not having the best monitor, but I'm also trying to let you know that if you don't have the best monitor and you get a color calibration, you're in the, you're in the ballpark we're, we're you're doing good. Right. You're doing good. The, the key element there is that you need to make sure that you have that color calibration on the monitor, um, regardless if it's a great monitor, not great monitor. If it's not calibrated, you're always going to have a much different experience from what you receive versus what you edit on the screen. Well, makes sense. I mean, if people are spending the money on their traveling and on the camera gear, then when they look at their images and edit them, they want to have the best re representation possible of their efforts. Yeah, and if your spouse or significant other has any problems, you can blame it on the guys at Artbeat Studios, not the guys at Wild <laughs> and Exposed. So here's here's a calibration <laughs> question that has has bugged me for years and I was speaking to a tech at, at one of these monitor companies actually just yesterday and he helps uh, me with this when calibrating a monitor with whether it's a, a tool that you hang on the face of the monitor whether it's a built-in calibration I've always wondered about the ambient lighting and I know from everything I've learned that it's it's important and it's relevant if there's a certain well for instance for years I had I still have actually on my office wall red curtains and if the caliber was mon or monitor was calibrated at a certain time with that red glow, it could potentially throw things off. Mm -hmm. So what ambient lighting should people have and be aware of when they calibrate their monitor? And so this fellow told me 5,000 K and I just, I'm scratching my head and I'm like, well, how do I know if this room is 5,000 K or Kelvin light? You know, is it that clean? So my response was, can I just turn off the lights and just program it to do it at night in, in darkness? And he said that would be fine. That would that solves that problem. Any insight from you guys on, on on the best way for people to how important is it for the ambient lighting around their monitor when they calibrate? Um, well, I want to kind of <clears throat> I love that you brought up the Kelvin of the light itself because we experience how much that has a dramatic effect on the range of the color of the print itself. Um, 5,000 to 5,400, that's around the count. That's where white is. When you're looking for what white, like, so daylight's not white. Daylight's got a blue to it. The way the sun comes through the atmosphere kind of bends the light a little bit to where we get some blueness to it. If you want true white, it's around that 5,000 to 5,400 Kelvin range. And that's just going to help you. Your standards are, are, are basically the same when you're using a pure white, like a 5,000 to 5,400 Kelvin. Um, our warehouse is 5,400 Kelvin, just because when we're doing all of our, when we're looking at the print, we have to look at the print based on that standard. Um, now, with regards to ambient light, like your friend was telling you about, the, 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 the variable there is going to be are you calibrating your monitor in the usage 
that you edit. So if you edit at nighttime, are you calibrating your monitor at nighttime? If you edit with the curtains closed, are you calibrating your monitor with the curtains closed? How you, you wanna make sure that when you're doing your calibration, you're doing your calibration in the setting that you edit. But I edit from morning through night. It could be 10 a.m. in the morning where there's light coming in through the window, curtains, I always keep them drawn just for even light or closed, but it could also be at midnight. So, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that the best answer is just to program it or elect to do it with the room 100% dark. Is, is that sensible from your expertise? From my or? expertise, yes, it is. Okay. Um, uh, the reason is then you're really pulling off the monitor and you've eliminated most of the ambient light. Okay. So years ago, I've, I mean, I've been in this profession for 25 years. I've gone through different monitors and there have been times where I'd get a new monitor and things were off for a period and um, not so much that it was critical to the business, but to my standard, it was, it caused frustration. And one of them was the, the, the curtains had done this where I had a, um, a different brand of monitor that had a, um, a brand, um, calibration tool that hung on the monitor, right? A different than the, the actual monitor itself. And it read the ambient light in the room with those red curtains. And so the reds were reduced on my files. And it wasn't until I took it to a local camera stop shop, which no longer exists to have some prints made. And this lady been in the profession forever. And she's like, your reds are weak. And I'm like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? She said, and I explained my office and she said, okay, go, go back and put up your reds 20%. That solved it. That monitor was then bang on forever with that adjustment. But I didn't know that and didn't recognize it. And it was a source of frustration for a year, 18 months of, of material going out. So it's just always been something to try and get as perfect as possible for you know, I want to make sure all my clients are happy with what they receive. It, it's got to pop off the screen the way it should from my memory and my eye. So that calibration, and it's the same delivering to a, a high-end print company such as yourselves to deliver that best file that will close, most closely represent the metal that we can't wait to see. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that is, is a way to go about it. Just have the room totally dark yeah. and, and do that. Okay. Thank you. So what are we forgetting? Obviously, we don't we don't even know all the right questions to ask you guys as far as how we can make improvements in our in our files and and be ready for printing. The main thing that we uh, will see our customers the opportunity for them to to make their pictures better is to do a gamut test on the photo. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, in Photoshop, um, there is under I believe it's the view. Uh, menu, there's a thing that says gamut warning. It, uh, it has your workspace and all that. Um, when you're editing your pictures, a lot of times if you've, if you've got a lot of um, purples or certain blues, um, those will be what's called out of gamut. And what that means is that those colors will not print exactly the way you see them on your monitor because they are out of the range of the ink that is used um, for printing. There's no inks that print those. You can have a printer with 11 colors, we've got them, and 
you still will not get that exact color. Um, we see it a lot of times on people will go up to Iceland and take beautiful pictures of the uh, northern lights and they come back and they want us to print them and almost the whole picture's out of gamut. There's no way we can print that picture. And what we'll do then is we'll tell them, hey, you've got to go back and you've got to edit this to where all those gray spots when you select gamut come up as a warning and they have to go away. And it becomes a different picture, but at least they know what they're going to get. Um, and I would highly suggest that anyone who's doing um, any photo editing, before they uh, submit that file, check the gamut warnings. Make sure everything's in gamut, because if it is, then we're going to we're going to nail your photo for you. And it is in Photoshop only. You cannot do a gamut test in Lightroom. Um, I'm not as familiar with Lightroom. I play around in it, but um, that's not an area that it, I operate in as much. It may be there, but we're, we're more familiar with Photoshop, and that's usually where we'll go when we're doing a gamut test. And most times um, when people submit photos, even if they do all their editing in Lightroom, they bring it into Photoshop. Um, and I suggest people do that, by the way. Bring it into Photoshop and see what it looks like in Photoshop. They are two different programs. Uh, and we're going to print your photo out of Photoshop, not Lightroom. And when you do that, um, you can check the gamut warning. And make sure their Photoshop setting is at Adobe RGB 1998. Exactly. That'll change the presentation on their monitor if it's not. It changes quite a bit. Mm -hmm. The other thing, if I, if I can have you talk on this, Darren, um, reviewing the histogram as well. Well, um, I'm not, I'm actually not a big histogram person. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't give that as much value as a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, I like looking, if I'm looking at that, I'm looking at individual colors to see whether I want to move the red, whether I want to move the green, whether I want to move the blue or, or whatever. Um, but most of these images have such a, I don't know, rich histogram that I, I, I don't tend to want to move those at all. Yeah. Um, from what, from my personal experience, just taking a look at photos and when a photo comes through uh, and they're requesting us to do modify it a little bit, adjust it, make it a little bit better, uh, playing around with your lights, playing around with your darks and the histogram, um, that tends to be a very simple, like if you're not very familiar with where you can take your photo from an from an editing perspective, um, you can m make up a lot of ground just doing, doing slight modifications in the histogram with regards to how well the image presents. Okay. So from a customer's perspective, it's worth doing an evaluation, just going through, taking a look at some of the sliders, possibly making some modifications to the values, see how it reacts with your photo. Um, you you especially like. If you're looking with a photo that's got a lot of haze, uh, you can do a lot to sharpen and make that image much crisper and cleaner in the histogram. I tend to use different tools in Photoshop for that. Levels? Um, I use levels. I, I use, use levels. I use the uh, hue and saturation. Um, sometimes I use the curves. Um, those are the ones I prefer. 
that's what I was brought up on. That's what was there in nineteen in the nineties. <laughs> you know what? One of the things that I kind of want to talk about uh, is our turnaround times as a company. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're going on six years roughly now yeah. here pretty soon uh, as far as being in business. And um, we haven't just going to be super transparent. We always we haven't always had the greatest reputation with regards to turnaround times. We know it. Uh, the truth is, and we're grateful about it. It's been a while since turnaround times have been a challenge for us. Um, it was a growing newer company that we were modifying protocols and while making sure standards, high quality standards were put in place. And going back to like, we talk about this often, there have been so many challenges and so many struggles with building a lab like this to the standards and degrees that our customers want uh, that we're very, very confident that if we didn't at all times hold quality as the bar, meaning that I don't care if this print goes out a week later than what it was supposed to go out. I know the customer wants this print, but we, what makes us what we are is the depth of quality that we provide for our prints. And the, the common thing that we talked about for a while, for at least probably the first two years, is if we did not put quality above everything else with our product, I don't know that we would have stayed in business, to be honest. Because there were some times in the first 2016, 2017 timeline um, where we had some customers who they just the print didn't arrive for five, six, seven days later than what they were originally hoping to receive it. And um, that's a balancing act with that customer trying to make sure that they still have a great experience. Uh, but the signature to that experience itself was when they opened that print. When they open that print and they see the quality, it just washes everything else away. And that's what we attached ourselves to above everything else was make sure we sell what we find to be the best that's possible to make. Um, and we'll keep getting better. We'll keep getting better. We'll keep getting better. But for now, the quality of the product must be what's important. And what we've been really fortunate with over the last two, two and a half years now is the company's just really turned around from the perspective of turnaround times uh, to where, I mean, we're in the midst of Black Friday right now. We're, we're, we've already got our Black Friday sales going and we have a lot of orders coming through and it's there's a sense of casualness that Darren's able to carry with him now. And there's a sense of casualness that I'm able to carry with me now um, compared to what we dealt with before. Not to say that it's not, uh, we're just dealing with so much workload and we're getting everything out. And the, the beautiful thing I can say right now is to this day, uh, right now at this moment, we don't have orders that are late. Uh, we're in the position where we're on time or early. And that's a really big difference for our beat studios uh, versus what we were two, three years ago, because two, three years ago during this time, we were just pulling our hair out and just, in doing the best that we possibly could. And we're very grateful and thankful to all those customers who helped us while we went through that struggle. Um, and it's just been such a big priority for us uh, over the last two or so years to get the protocols in place that we need to get, get the staff in place that we need to get, overstaff, don't understaff um, the, for, for the workforce, uh, put our team in a position where we're required to hunt for more orders and find more customers so that we can make sure that they have enough workload. That's that's 
seems to have been the right, the better recipe for our beat studios is just overstaff the floor, overstaff the warehouse, overstaff all of our departments. Uh, there's a little bit, again, a little bit more cost associated with that, but our customers appreciate it. And uh, tangibly, they really appreciate when we say that our turnaround time is going to be five business days and then it arrives on the third business day. And we're, <laughs> guys, I can't stress enough how grateful that makes us feel that we're finally in that position uh, because there was a time where we would say five to seven business days and there was a possibility that you'd get it on the eighth, a possibility that you'd get it on the ninth. And for us, it was this crushing experience where, God, we want to provide so much for the customer uh, and we're just getting better at this still. And for us to be where we're at now, um, it's just it's such a different experience. And we're really grateful that you guys have worked with us, our customers, as long as you guys have worked with us to give us these opportunities to keep polishing the process, keep polishing the system, keep polishing the products for you guys. And we're finally at that spot now. And we're really, it, it's been this way for probably 18 months now where RB Studios is kind of on an automatic trajectory just because once you do, we already provided a great product. But once you start providing that great product at the expected turnaround time or before that, there's an automaticness to the customer's experience and reorders and growing. And we're kind of in that stage right now where um, we just got to keep doing what we're doing as best as we've been doing it, continue to get better at what we're doing. And it's just it's really a lot of fun to, to see what's happening right now. Uh, but to, just kind of wrap that up. Yeah, turnaround times, we were in a much, much healthier, better position than we were before. Uh, and we want to make sure that you guys are aware of that and test us. Give us the work. <laughs> Send the orders our way because we're we're really doing a lot better at making sure we've got inventory, storage space, um, manpower, every all the moving pieces we need to make sure that this is happening the way that you guys want it to. So this is going to come out hopefully – next week, which will be the Tuesday right after Black Friday. Okay. What would be the latest someone could expect to order and still receive it in time for Christmas if it was for a gift? We go. We take a unique approach, I think, to our cutoff times for Christmas. Um, we, I believe our cutoff time is December 3rd this year. Yeah. Am I correct? Yes. We cut off our, our Christmas guarantee very early in the season. And the primary reason why we cut it off so early in the season is because these are Christmas gifts. And when you're giving a Christmas gift that is a picture, a lot of times it's memories, it's sentimental. There's very significant value to that print itself. And we want to put, we want to be in the position where if you're ordering something like that and you want to know for a fact that it's going to be there by Christmas, we want to put Artbeat Studios in the most promising position to make sure that that comes through for you. Uh, and so December 3rd is our cutoff for Christmas guarantees. It doesn't mean that if you order on the 4th or the 5th or the 6th or the 7th or the 8th, that that's not also going to arrive by Christmas. Get those orders in now. Get those orders in as fast as you possibly can because there's a, a variable that we have to face, which is, hello, <laughs> there's a variable <laughs> that we have to face, which is... Um, the quantity of orders, you know, it's, it, we don't, we could put ourselves in a position where that, that cutoff was later, December 7th, December 10th, we could put ourselves in that position, but we don't know right now what that influx of orders is going to look like. And so out of an abundance of caution, 
We set that date as early as we feel as possible to make that guarantee a true guarantee. And then when you order beyond that date, just communicate with us. Just share with us what your situation is. Talk to our customer service team. Put the put the notes inside the order itself. We're we're human. We're here to connect with what your guys' wants and desires are. It, even if it's hard or difficult, like let's say it's really late into the month and you guys want to print for a Christmas present, if it's possible, we're going to do it. You know, that's that's our, our energy. Um, but the, the situation is we don't really know what that landscape looks like at that timeline. So we have to kind of wait and see what that's going to be. So December 3rd right now is what our cutoff is. And we also have to deal with um, our shippers. I mean, they tell us that they're going to have more uh, shipments going out because of COVID. More, more people are ordering online. And so they are telling us that in order to ensure that your customers get their orders by Christmas, you need to ship it early. Yeah, definitely interesting times. And I, I'm the same way. I mean, everything's been online that can be. Mm -hmm. And it's always been the case with artwork like this. So to dial back just a little bit, I just want to say how important it is to hear that quality is number one when it comes to artwork and something that uh, photography that we're all, all so passionate about. I mean, that's that to hear that priority is more important. I mean, obviously, if somebody has an exhibit, they should communicate that timeline. They need materials by the exhibit date. But if it's if it's being shipped directly to a client, um, is it is it called drop shipping? Is that right? Yeah. No. White it's such a weird. It's such a weird name because you do not drop ship a metal print. You don't drop it, but you ship <laughs> it to the client. <laughs> you ship yeah. it. So I frequently will do that, and whether it arrives there on a certain day or even a week later, if the client loves it, they're going to hang it on their wall, hopefully for many years. Yeah. Timing is not that critical for that kind of situation. The quality is critical, and to never have had a client say anything negative about a product that I've ordered through you folks keeps it going, right? I mean, and if there was, it'd just be a question of communication because it would be an oddity. It hasn't happened. So the fact, as a, as a photographer who sells to people that way for any format of print, it's important to have confidence in the manufacturer so that it can be efficiently, due to shipping costs, there's no point to have a metal print shipped from you in California to me in Ontario to ship back to Texas just so I can see it. So that, to have that confidence in a manufacturer is, is the most important aspect. And timing is relevant, don't get me wrong, but yeah. quality, quality is always number one. Yeah, we agree. We agree, 100%. I kind of want to touch on what you were talking about with shipping. Um, we're shipping a very delicate product. It's it, 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 uh, and we put a lot of energy behind our packaging, and we just want to point that out and highlight that a little bit because it's actually one of the compliments that we get from our customers often is the the <laughs> I say compliment, and there are a few who complain. Uh, and what the complaint is, it's just too well packaged. Uh, and when you package a product that well, it's hard to open. Uh, and there's a there's a balancing act that we got to play there. Uh, but more important um, than the ease of use of opening, unfortunately, is the sturdiness and the security of the package itself. Because we're dealing with thin metal that's getting shipped across the country, jumping on trucks and trains and airplanes, and it's going all over the place. And it's really fascinating how these characters treat these packages. Some of the carriers, they really handle them with grace and delicacy. And other carriers, it's a package. 
they just don't really see it as much more than that. And we have to build the package out in a way to where when that type of carrier is holding onto the package, honestly, <laughs> I was going to, I was hesitating to share this with you, but the way we test our, our, there's a lot of different ways that we test our packaging and we actually have the carriers come out and they'll evaluate. We send our products over to um, their shipping stations and they'll come back and give us feedback on the product. Once everyone's done with the package and everyone's given us their feedback on how it's supposed to be put the best way, our way of testing the package is we take this package <laughs> after it's been done through what they do with it and we abuse this package as much as we possibly can. We'll chuck this thing 15 feet in the air and let it crash down on the ground. We'll frisbee this thing into a, a, a concrete pole that's designed to protect like from cars hitting the building and stuff. We'll do as much as we possibly can to really stress this product. Uh, and then, uh, and the reason why is we we need to know, <laughs> we need to know that this package is going to get there uh, the right way. And the reason I emphasize that so much is because for you as a customer who, who um, drop ships to other customers, uh, you want to know what's going to get there without, you, you, we just don't want the headache. Nobody wants the headache of it not being exactly what they ordered and so forth. Uh, and it's a delicate product. It's difficult to do, uh, but we put a lot of emphasis on our packaging, and we do get a lot of co uh, compliments from our customers for it. I built a dog. I built a small doghouse with Art Beats Studios packaging. <laughs> <laughs> so you can pass that along. But yeah, the the nice thin panels and the you know the two by fours that are used to, to make some of those packages when you get several prints in one order. So how big can we go in metal these days? Um, largest size we produce is a 40 by 60 at the moment. Okay. Uh, as far as what's available in the industry, 40 by 96 roughly seems to be the, the cap on metal prints themselves. We're not at the state stage yet where we're offering that. We're just, we haven't seen the demand to that degree for that type of size. We offer that size in acrylic, and even in acrylic, the demand's not as high for products of that size. And the real truth is, it's a metal's more difficult to ship than acrylic is mm -hmm. because it's thinner, more delicate. Uh, acrylic is heavier and denser, but it's also stronger. So there's less to be concerned about with acrylic. When you ship a 40 by 60 metal, there's so much due diligence you need to put to make sure that that package is done right, where it's going to arrive without any damage. The, the thought of dealing with a 48 by 96 metal, oh my gosh, we're really going to grow once we do uh, start to offer the 48 by 96 metals as well. And when the demand's there, then we will. It's just we haven't found enough of the um, demand for the in the market for that product. And so uh, we're sticking with 40 by 60 for now. Well, it, it is a bit of a nail biter to think about that size of metal print being shipped across the country. So with acrylic, I haven't done as many acrylic as metal just because I really like the dynamic effect of metal. But can you get different depths of acrylic surfaces on prints? Is that something people should be aware of? Are some a thinner finish or a thicker finish? Or, or is it all uniform, always the same amount of acrylic on top of the, the paper? As far as on top of the paper, um, we offer a quarter inch and an eighth inch. Now we, we have what's called um, our light, which is a quarter inch with just the paper attached to the back. Then we have our HD, 
which is a quarter inch on the face and an eighth inch uh, PVC on the back. And then we have our slim, which is an eighth inch acrylic and an eighth inch uh, acrylic on the back. And that just comes down to personal preference. And then as far as being on the back, it's just more of a sturdier product. Is that the purpose for that? Paper is paper and you know it absorbs moisture. And even if you have it face mounted to acrylic, it's still gonna absorb some moisture. It's not as sturdy as the ones that have either the acrylic or the PVC on the back. So I don't know if you have any more, Ron, or, or guys, if we're if we're missing any anything here as far as advice that could be shared to our listeners when it comes to preparation or any aspect of your business, feel free to jump in. One thing we didn't talk about that sometimes we want to make sure our customers are aware of is when you have signatures on your photos, you're going to want to make sure your signatures are a little bit away from the edge of the photo. And the reason for that being is because there is a bleed just to make sure that we're able to get the full image on the media type. Uh, and so you're going to want to give about a half an inch or so distance away from the edge just so that the signature will still look proportionally appropriate on the print once that bleed factor is put in there. Uh, so signatures I wanted to bring up. Was there something you can think of? And then the other thing I wanted to bring up is um, just to customers, uh, <clears throat> we're really excited to reach out and connect with you. And like example in this podcast, for, for the two of you getting this experience with you uh, and for all, for other customers as well, um, we're, we're in that spot where this is a really great uh, a chance for all of us to explore opportunities. Our, we've been talking about it already in this interview. RP Studios didn't have the luxury that it has right now back in the day. We were pulling our hair out, just doing everything we could to keep the company going around, uh, making sure we're giving you guys a great product. We're finally at that point now where we are really excited to to, to build those relationships with our customers because we've got that that breath a little bit to kind of spend this time having these conversations and getting into more detail with you guys. Uh, and so as far as just opportunities that are out there, um, if there's something you can think of, a collaboration, anything, just reach out to us. We'll reach it. We're reaching out to, to individuals and to professionals. Um, but if there's, if you guys have some ideas or concepts uh, that you want to run by us, just please, we're so excited because it's fun. It's like, it's, it's fun for us. But it's fun for the people who participate as well, because we're all we're it's like we talked about earlier. This is bigger than us. It's so much. We're all just having so much fun with this. Uh, so if there's anything out there that anybody has any ideas, possible collabs, just things that they're curious about or even just conversations. Um, we'd love to build that relationship with you, connect with you, uh, reach out to us through customer service. Um, and we'll just keep these connections going. I, th I think the creative process keeps us all going, keeps us all oh. passionate. And and I, I love the ability to communicate with you guys. We all do. And definitely appreciate you taking the time, given how busy Black Friday sales can be yeah. as well. Thanks. So yeah. a quick question on that, on that aspect. If somebody was doing a show and wanted multiples of one image without looking, you know, if they wanted five metal prints of the same image, obviously there is there an opportunity for a discount versus one, or is there a package rate that way? Or how do you folks run that for your company? We have our 
different stores for our customers. It's basically like a rewards program. And you're either, you, when you first move into ordering with RP Studios, we're going to give you a 20% discount on your first order across the board. Um, that's going to just help with that price point. Uh, you're getting, you're starting with us. You probably want to see what our product looks like. You, we want to help you get, start with that experience. Once you place that first order, you're going to start to build um, you, you're starting your orders with us. You're, we're starting to build that relationship, that history. And as you continue to order with us and we see that history of continued order, um, then discounts start to come into play for you. Uh, and it's through our rewards program. We call them pro accounts. Uh, and it's basically a bronze store, silver store, a gold store, and platinum store. Platinum stores are our uh, greatest discounts. And the way to get that is... Uh, to get to the platinum store is a $10,000 spend. To get to the bronze store is a $1,000 spend. And then in between is for the or for the gold, uh, silver and gold as well. Um, and the discounts range from 10% off to as much as 35% off on certain product lines, depending on where how much you've spent with us and how long you've been ordering with us. So it's more of a rewards program on the discounts for, for products. Well, for people who sell at shows and trade shows and such, that's that's a good program to have. Thanks. Because they'll easily use that over time, one would hope. Yeah. It's it's ten thousand dollars a lot of money. Ten thousand dollars is not nothing. And you'd be surprised how many customers are in that bracket. There's mm -hmm. there's just so many people who um do op operate where they're just producing and drop shipping and selling their products, uh, that it's not that difficult. $10,000 sounds like a lot, but it's not typically over one purchase. It's typically over multiple purchases over one or two years, and you start to hit those numbers pretty quickly. And you'll see that a lot of um, our competitors, they will say that you have to buy a certain amount per year, where we allow this to just continue over the history uh, of your purchasing from us. Yeah. And the truth is we're always focused on finding price points important. Um we're talking about wallet spend. Uh, we're always trying to find ways to make the price in the range that's going to match our customers' needs as best as possible while maintaining those standards of quality. Yeah. Um, we can make the prices cheaper, but we, we do it. Uh, it's just there's that line, and th there's a, companies operate differently. Uh, and some companies want to raise that line as high as they possibly can and take advantage as much as they possibly can. And I don't know that that's a bad idea. Um, but kind of how RP Studios operates, it's a it's a balance of quality and volume to where we want to get that low that price as low as we possibly can because the volume will increase as long as we can maintain the quality associated with it. And initially, we uh, started this company as a company by artists for artists. It's not that we want to um, get rich at Artbeat Studio, no. what we want to do is we want to provide a quality product to our artist friends. That's pretty much it. Well, one would hope they'll do better and then you'll do better. Just yeah. through volume of product. Everyone right? wins. And when you look on your website, you see that because there are several people that posing with the images that, you know, that they took, you help bring to life. And, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of pride both ways that, you know, that comes along with producing a product like that. RP Studios, the management team here, this, it's a business. There's money associated with it. There's bills and so forth. It's a business. But honestly, the business aspect from the management team's perspective 
just gets in the way. Yeah. Really does. Because we have so much fun. We, love we really we enjoy being fortunate to be in these in this position and to do what we do. Yes, there's the business and there's money and so forth, but again, it's the side project what's the more important project is plus i get to hang out with this guy (laughs) (laughs) well i'm sure it's a treat to see the variety of artwork that goes through your 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 production studio as well yeah i can't can't imagine being able to see that you know just from artists from so many different parts of the country parts of the world well if you're in the area feel free to stop in yeah i'd love to you bet before mark signs us off i'd just like to thank you guys both for your time uh, thank Carlo for setting this up as well and working with me over the last couple months to get this going. Uh, but more than anything, thanks for your time and thanks for the, the knowledge that you've passed on to our listeners. Yes, it's been fantastic. It's been it's been great to learn from, from your expertise in, in your part of the field. So thanks very much. Our listeners, if you have questions on today's podcast, reach out to us or directly to Artbeat Studios if you prefer. Let us know. And you can find more of our work on wildandexposed.com and on our YouTube channel. You can watch the podcast there as well. Our audio podcasts go up each Tuesday and our video on Friday. And when you're on YouTube, make sure to hit that bell and and the thumbs up or five-star rating as those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a weekly basis. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Someday, nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town.